You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, August 8th, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Tilly Robinson reports on the Indiana Department of Transportation's plan to install a network of electric vehicle chargers with federal funds. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Indiana passed an abortion ban on Friday with limited exceptions. More coming up next in your daily headlines. Governor Eric Holcomb signed a law that would ban most abortions, making Indiana the first state to restrict the procedure since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. The measure includes limited exceptions, including in some cases of rape, incest, fatal fetal anomaly, or when the pregnant person's life is in danger. The law makes abortion a level five felony. It also bans abortion clinics, such as Planned Parenthood, from performing the procedure. Abortions will only be allowed in a hospital setting. Furthermore, doctors can face jail time for performing an illegal abortion. There are no criminal penalties for women who receive abortions, according to the law. Furthermore, the legislature included $75 million for social service programs for expectant mothers and children. Dr. Jennifer Drobak, professor of law at the Robert H. McKinney School of Law at Indiana University, said the law oversteps in its regulation of medical care. Senate Bill 1 is an abortion ban. It's that simple. It has some exceptions, which will apply in a very small number of cases. But basically, this bill is the regulation by lawmakers of medical care. And it's second-guessing doctors and their patients with respect to what medical care can be offered in the state of Indiana. She said the measure violates the bodily autonomy of pregnant people and forces them into labor, a choice she believes the government doesn't have the right to make. This bill also would regulate the bodies of people who become pregnant. And it basically forces those people, unless they fall into this these small number of exceptions, it forces them to engage in pregnancy and labor. And so what you're doing is you're taking away the bodily autonomy and forcing these people to engage in labor, literally and figuratively. Dr. Drobak said the implications of the bill will impact the economy, making people less likely to move to Indiana and corporations relocating their headquarters outside of Indiana. And this is going to have a ripple effect beyond medical care, beyond 
the autonomy of people who become pregnant. And beyond sort of the this notion of how should we regulate abortion, it's also going to have an impact on the economy. Because how many people of childbearing years are going to want to move to Indiana if they know that if they get pregnant here, they probably won't be able to access needed medical care here? Why would you move to a place that doesn't have excellent medical care. And I know that businesses and corporations are probably going to either move their headquarters or considering not, consider not having their conventions here because of this type of overly intrusive regulation of people who become pregnant and their families. The pharmaceutical giant Eli Lilly one of Indiana's largest employers, announced that this law will hinder its ability to find new talent and said it will look elsewhere to expand its operations. Governor Holcomb said in a written statement, quote, Following the overturning of Roe, I stated clearly that I would be willing to support legislation that made progress in protecting life. In my view, SEA-1 accomplishes this goal following its passage in both chambers of the Indiana General Assembly with a solid majority of support. End quote. Indiana senators voted 28 to 19 in favor of the bill. The governor signed the near-total ban on Friday night. The law will go into effect on September 15th. During public comment at the Bloomington City Council meeting on August 3rd, AFSCME workers asked the councilors to ensure proper compensation for all city employees. Local 2487 President Bradley Rushton spoke first. I am here on behalf of my constituency and my co-workers in regards to the current ongoing contract negotiations with the city's administration. Due to agreements of confidentiality with the city's administration representatives, I cannot discuss any aspect of the current state of affairs between the union and the city reps. However, I am here to speak on contractual agreements that were negotiated in the past. The contract between ASME and the city dated 2009 to 2013 was a five-year contract. On that particular contract, the union members were able to secure a 15.5% increase over the life of that agreement. The contract years between 2014 and 2022 the union employees received a total of 14.75% over that nine-year period. While many, if not all, of the administrative heads have enjoyed regular increases that meet or exceed the cost of living expenses, the union members, as well as non-union members, have fallen steadily behind. Next, the Bloomington City Council voted on an amendment to the municipal code entitled Vehicles and Traffic. City Clerk Nicole Bolden introduced the changes proposed. To amend Title 15 of the Bloomington Municipal Code entitled Vehicles and Traffic regarding amending Section 1512030 to remove three signalized intersections and add three signalized intersections, Section 1520010 by deleting the reference to restricted turn intersections, Section 1524020 by changing speed limits at four locations, 
Section 1532030 to change parking on Lincoln Street between Smith and 3rd to back in angle parking and to add pull-in parking on South Morton Street from West Patterson Drive and Grimes Lane to 190 North of West Patterson Drive and Grimes Lane. Section 1532050 to allow for prohibiting parking in municipal parking lots to respond to weather and maintenance issues. 1532080 to remove no parking spaces on South Morton Street and South Rogers Street and to add no parking spaces on Lincoln Street and North Park Avenue. Section 1532100 to add two loading zones on East 4th Street. Section 1537020 to change the boundaries of the Garden Hill Residential Neighborhood Permit Parking Zone. Section 1504010 to add paid parking spaces and the Trades District Garage. And Section 1548020 to add an administrative towing fee when vehicles are towed for reserve parking or outstanding citation violations. Assistant Director of Planning and Transportation, Beth Rosenbarger, explained the changes individually. First, she described some of the changes that would be made to the intersections. As I think we can tell from the clerk's reading, this ordinance covers a lot of ground, uh, literally and figuratively. So Title 15 is the section of code that regulates vehicles and traffic. So we have a lot of amendments that happen over time or changes that happen over time. We work to collect those and then bring them uh, as a package together. So that's why I'm here today. So I'm just going to go through each section that we have in there and briefly describe what it is. So with the signalized intersections that are listed in there, um, this first signalized intersection is Bloomfield Road and Basswood Drive. We are proposing to remove the signal from code. The signal will physically remain. It will belong to NDOT, so we don't need it in our city code because we're not regulating the signal at that point. The second signal listed in there I did these in an odd order, is located at the intersection currently of Leonard Springs and Tap Road. We would be physically removing this signal and removing it from code also. This signal was installed to be a temporary signal during I-69 construction. Um, you can answer questions about that if you have any. Rosenbarger said that the Rose Hill neighborhood parking permit zone boundary would be changed to align with the neighborhood boundary. Section 8 changes the boundaries of the residential neighborhood permit parking zone 6 to align with the neighborhood boundary. So in this image, and there's a lot of images in the packet, the dashed blue line is what the current residential neighborhood permit parking zone is. The area highlighted in green is what we want to change that to in code. It does not change, there's a definition of eligibility for a parking permit, it doesn't change that, it changes the boundaries. So for example, currently on 15th Street, the boundary is from Walnut to Indiana Avenue, but if there is a home that fronts on Walnut and their address is on Walnut, they're not able to get a neighborhood parking permit. 
So we wanted the two boundaries to align. She also said that pay-by-phone parking would be added to East 13th Street, South Rogers Street, and North Walnut Grove Street, and an administrative towing fee would be added to the code. The board unanimously approved the amendment. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on August 17th. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Tilly Robinson reports on the Indiana Department of Transportation's plan to install a network of electric vehicle chargers with federal funds. We turn to Tilly Robinson for more. Department of Transportation plans to begin building a new statewide network of electric vehicle charging stations. INDOT submitted its plan to the U.S. Joint Office of Energy and Transportation on July 29th. Funding for the new charging stations comes from the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Formula Program, known as NEVI. NEVI is one component of the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure law passed last year. If INDOT's plan is approved, Indiana expects to receive $99.6 million in NEVI funds. The funds will be distributed in installments over the next five years. The NEVI program also requires 20% in matching funds from non-federal sources. In Indiana, that means the private sector. So what exactly is in the Transportation Department's plan? And what does it mean for Hoosiers? Scott Manning is INDOT's Deputy Chief of Staff, and he's the Project Manager for the Indiana Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Deployment Plan. He said INDOT's plan aims to support electric vehicle adoption by translating federal goals to the state level. Our goal with the NEVI program in Indiana is very similar to the the national goal that's been laid out for the program. Uh, That national goal is to build out a network of at least 500,000 DC fast chargers across the country by 2030. And the goals there are to reduce range anxiety, make EV ownership more viable, more convenient, and support that long distance regional and national travel. Civil engineering professor Darcy Bullock has been studying electric vehicle charging infrastructure through the Joint Transportation Research Program, a collaboration between INDOT and Purdue. He described the importance of installing chargers along highways. Drive the interstate right now, you don't worry about having a gas station at interchanges when you need it. In the the world of electric vehicles, we talk about range anxiety. So when people drive long distances, they want to make sure they've got the ability to fuel up or top off their electric vehicle. According to INDOT, There are already 325 publicly accessible charging stations that serve electric vehicles in Indiana. But there's a lot more the state can do to make electric vehicles a practical investment for Hoosier drivers. Manning says the existing network falls short when it comes to long-distance travel. What exists today doesn't necessarily provide the convenient, quick charging that's necessary to support wider adoption of electric vehicles 
uh, eliminate range anxiety and make it more viable for the owner to make a, a longer distance trip. That's in part because there are three broad categories of electric vehicle charging. Two of those are widely used to charge vehicles at home. Level 1 chargers can be plugged into standard 120-volt household outlets. But Level 1 charging is slow, taking a day or more to fully charge a car battery. Manning explained that Level 2 chargers are still convenient, but a little more robust. They can run on a, a standard 220 electrical outlet, so same type of power that an electric water heater or uh, electric clothes dryer would use. And those Level 2 chargers provide uh, a little bit faster charging time. So in most cases, an EV owner is able to plug in in the evening after returning from work or from school. They can charge overnight and start their day in the morning with a fully charged battery. Level 3 chargers are also known as DC fast chargers. That's because power from the grid is usually delivered as alternating current, but batteries charge using direct current. Most electric vehicles contain AC to DC converters, but at higher powers, those converters would be too large for a car, meaning they have to be built into the charger instead. Manning says that DC fast chargers aren't usually installed in homes but they're the fastest option for electric vehicle drivers on the road. They provide the quickest charge time that's available in the market right now. Most electric vehicles can charge to at least 80% within about an hour. Most publicly accessible charging stations in Indiana offer level 2 chargers. There are 23 non-proprietary DC fast charging stations statewide, and only five of those are located within one mile of an interstate. That number may soon grow. After automaker Volkswagen reached a civil settlement with the Environmental Protection Agency over allegations that it cheated on federal emissions tests, settlement funds were distributed to the states. Indiana is using $6.15 million of the funds it received to install 61 charging stations statewide. Many of these will be DC fast chargers, but they won't all meet NEVI program requirements. The NEVI funding will be used to install a network of DC fast chargers along highways that have been designated as alternative fuel corridors. Some of the sites will be unique, and some will upgrade chargers installed using the Volkswagen funds. In a virtual public meeting on July 13th, Manning explained the NEVI program's stipulations. This funding is directed toward the alternative fuel corridors. Uh, within those corridors, EV charging stations must be located every 50 miles, um, and stations must be within one mile of, of the interstate. Each station itself must have a minimum of four plugs or ports, uh, each providing 150 kilowatts of power uh, through DC source. To meet these criteria, INDOT needs to install a minimum of 44 new charging stations. The department used data from Purdue and mapping from engineering firm HNTB to create a map of preliminary and alternate locations. The new stations will be installed in phases. INDOT plans for the first wave of stations, located in the highest demand areas, to go live in the second quarter of 2025. A second wave of stations will be located based on other criteria, such as proximity to disadvantaged communities, proximity to key travel stops or destinations, and geographic balance. 
these stations are expected to go live in the second quarter of 2026. After the preliminary sites are built out, INDOT may put in additional charging stations at the alternate locations, depending on how much funding is left over. According to Manning, that's a big unknown. Certainly, we have a target range of what the DC fast chargers cost on a per location basis, but every location is a little bit different in terms of what the make ready infrastructure that would be needed to provide the power and the grid connections and the data connectivity to support the operation. That's going to vary site by site. So it's really a question of how far can we stretch the funding. How can we get the best value for the dollar? And that's where the phase two and phase three is really dependent on how much funding do we have left available once we get to that point in the deployment. INDOT is considering several different contracting mechanisms, including public-private partnerships. Contracting decisions won't be finalized until the department appoints a program manager for the plan in 2023. But one thing's certain, new EV chargers will need workers to install them. Lance Bradbury is the business representative for Local 481 of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, which represents about 2,500 electricians in central Indiana. He says the union hopes INDOT will contract with companies and workers from Indiana to keep jobs and money in the state. We want to make sure that Those are going to local contractors in the area, and they're putting local electricians to work, and that the state's not going to just subcontract this work out to an out-of-state electrical firm that's going to bring people in and then take the money from our state project out of our state. In meetings, INDOT and IBEW representatives have also discussed training standards. INDOT is likely to encourage or adopt the Electric Vehicle Infrastructure and Training Program, or EVITP. EVITP is a 20-hour course that provides training for qualified electricians to install and maintain electric vehicle supply equipment. The EVITP curriculum is available online, and the IBEW provides in-person instruction as part of its apprenticeship program. Bradbury says he's glad that INDOT has worked with the union as it develops the charger deployment plan. He thinks the potential hazards of the charging stations make it important for INDOT to require appropriate training and to work with locally-based contractors. There are a lot of concerns for safety, you know, electrical fires, environmental concerns. These, these are industrial-sized charging um, developments. These aren't just an offshoot one-charger here or there, these are going to be large electrical installations, and we want to make sure that we protect the communities that they're installed in. And that's why it's very important to have electricians installing them that have the expertise and contractors that are still going to be around after the initial installation to service those and make sure that they are safe for the community to use on a regular basis for years to come. So EV charging stations will be a long-term commitment for the state of Indiana and the companies and workers that maintain them. In some ways, they're also a long-term commitment for drivers. Manning says that electric vehicles take longer to charge than gas-powered cars take to refuel. And that changes drivers' habits and the economic picture for communities near the new chargers. While most people are accustomed to stopping station, maybe taking five to 10 minutes to refuel their vehicle. It's going to take longer to recharge an electric vehicle. 
So we recognize that EV owners, um, you know, are going to be looking to charge at locations where there are restrooms available. Maybe they can grab a bite to eat, look around, do some shopping, things of that variety. So we have strategically placed our preliminary site locations at highway interchanges that generally offer those types of amenities. Because of this, Manning said that INDOT has mostly seen enthusiasm from people and businesses at potential charger locations. The question that we've been asked most frequently by communities or potential site hosts is, how quickly can we get started? Uh, Because I think communities and, and individual business owners, they do see the economic opportunity from bringing EV travelers to their communities and knowing that while they're plugged in and charging, uh, have a captive audience, so to speak, to frequent uh, restaurants, businesses, parks, cultural, recreational amenities within a given community. Areas that provide support for electric vehicle charging and attract more EVs may also see environmental and public health benefits. Studies have found that ozone and fine particulate matter from vehicle tailpipe emissions create health risks and cause thousands of deaths per year. But electric vehicles run on energy generated elsewhere, so they don't produce tailpipe emissions. And the effects of air pollution from gas-powered vehicles are unequally distributed. A 2019 study from the Union of Concerned Scientists found that Asian Americans experienced 34 times the national average exposure to fine particulate matter emitted by vehicles. African Americans and Latinos are also burdened by exposure far above the national average. The NEVI program follows the Biden administration's Justice 40 initiative. The goal of Justice 40 is to direct 40% of the benefits of climate and clean energy investments to disadvantaged communities, or DACs. Based on the federal definition, 59% of Indiana's population lives in a DAC or a rural area. According to INDOT's mapping, 62% of the preliminary charging sites are in or within 5 miles of a disadvantaged community and 100% of sites are within 15 miles of at least one DAC. Manning said that access and proximity to chargers were one important consideration, but INDOT hopes to advance justice through other aspects of the plan as well. We really want to weave equity and Justice 40 into every element of the program. So that includes not just the build-out of the infrastructure, but uh, our public outreach efforts our labor and workforce considerations. But Indiana residents are still organizing to hold INDOT accountable. A coalition of different groups, including the Indiana NAACP, faith-based institutions, and Black-owned businesses, formed the Indiana Alliance for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion for Electric Vehicle Infrastructure and Economic Opportunities. In an interview with WTHR this June, President of the Interdenominational Ministerial Alliance of Greater Indianapolis, Dr. Lionel Rush, said that justice should be a central consideration in the plan. So I want to make sure that black and brown and poor people and those who are on the underbelly of life do not get left behind in this transition. Studies have shown that they are the ones that's going to be excluded if we don't get this right on the front side. As INDOT implements electric vehicle charging infrastructure, the department will have to consider historical inequalities in a national context. 
but many of the effects will be felt on a local scale. Some of these benefits may be coming to Bloomington. One of INDOT's preliminary sites is where Sample Road intersects I-69 at exit 126 north of town. Lauren Clemens is the Assistant Director of Sustainability for the City of Bloomington. She said that the new charging stations will help Bloomington achieve the goals outlined in its Climate Action Plan last year. In our climate action plan for Bloomington, we have goals that a larger percentage of vehicles purchased in Bloomington are electric vehicles, and part of that is ensuring that we have adequate electric vehicle charging infrastructure. And so while the city of Bloomington has installed EV chargers in many of our public garages, the I-69 corridor is a really big opportunity for Bloomington to get connected with the rest of the state. Professor Bullock, the Purdue researcher, says that the I-69 corridor represents a unique situation because it's so new. So one of the interesting uh, characteristics of that new section of I-69 between Evansville and Bloomington, it's one of the largest, longest, continuous sections of interstate that's been built in the last decade. So the rest of the interstate around Indiana has been built out for pick your number 40 or 50 years. So that's an area that it's somewhat kind of blue water. And so that's when you really need to partner with the local agencies and the planners to start looking at maybe not what's busy right now, but where are those locations that we should be looking to evaluate charging infrastructure that will align with the community and the state's long-range plan for that corridor. INDOT expects the Joint Office of the U.S. Departments of Energy and Transportation to approve their implementation plan by September 30th. For WFHB, I'm Tilly Robinson.